This is Tom Fox. Welcome to the newest edition in the Compliance Podcast Network, my latest podcast, Compliance and Coronavirus. As the voice of compliance, I wanted to start a podcast which will help bring both clarity and sanity to the field of compliance, the compliance practitioner, and indeed the compliance profession during this worldwide health and healthcare crisis. Taking up a variety of topics as diverse as working from home to sporting events, to the role of the board of directors, to crisis management, to the role of supply chains. We will look at all of these in this podcast. If you have a topic you'd like covered on compliance and coronavirus, please let me know. I'd be happy to do a podcast on it. In this episode, I welcome back Ray Dukey, Managing Director at K2 Intelligence Fin. Take up the issue of unemployment fraud. And while many don't think that this is a major issue, it's become very important for employers and financial institutions during the era of COVID-19. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back for another episode. And today I have back with me uh, Ray Dukey. Ray is with K2Fin, a managing director, and he was interviewed uh, for a Wall Street Journal article this week that really uh, caught my attention. And um, because, frankly, it was not something that was on my radar around fraud or uh, compliance issues or really anything, perhaps even money laundering as well. Uh, but um, Ray uh, graciously took some time to come on the podcast and talk to us about this. So, Ray, I was wondering, first of all, you could uh, tell the audience a little bit about your role at K2Fin. Sure. Thanks, Tom. It's great to be back with you. Um, As you mentioned, I'm a managing director with uh, K2Fin. I lead the firm's uh, fraud risk management services, and that's effectively helping our clients put in place those programs and controls to prevent, detect, and respond to fraud and misconduct. Great to be here, Tom. So, Ray, um, we had a chance to visit a little bit earlier, and you gave us some of your thoughts about where we were at that time in the pandemic. We're now eight months into it, and the challenges for financial institutions have grown, have morphed, and unfortunately, the bad guys, when you figure out one way to prevent them, they just move to something else. And it seems like they've moved to something else in the big way because recently the uh, uh, Treasury Department's Financial Crimes Enforcement Network issued an advisory on unemployment fraud. And uh, could you tell us what that is? And maybe we can explore that in depth. Sure, sure, Tom. Uh, So unemployment fraud is simply um, the theft of unemployment benefits through the use of false information or false pretenses. Um, Some of the types of schemes um, that that can include identity theft, whereby fraudsters effectively uh, steals the information of unsuspecting persons and use their information to file a claim with the government for employment, unemployment benefits. Another scheme could involve the use of just fake or phony applicants. They make up uh, individuals and, and use fake information. There are also schemes whereby you know, employees and employers collude um, to create false claims and then split the unemployment benefits amongst themselves. So it's a wide-ranging uh, set of schemes that, that – fraudsters can perpetrate. So what are some of the red flags that would help a financial institution identify unemployment insurance fraud? Sure, sure. There, there are many. Um, you know, I, I think 
you know, banks, uh, FinCEN, I think, recognize that banks are, are um, a key player here. And, and they put out this guidance. And in, in that guidance, I think it's a prime source of information for bank compliance officers and investigators. And it lays out some of the, the, the various schemes that these fraudsters and, and fraud rings can perpetrate against, against these banks. And, and there are things like some of the, some of the ones that caught my, my attention, uh, Tom, are, you know, if a bank account was set up for the sole purpose of receiving unemployment, uh, you know, benefits, that to me is questionable, right? Uh, so an, an ordinary person, just don't set up bank accounts just to re- receive unemployment benefits. They, they have lots of, they have, you know, all sorts of things that would go through their transactions, transfers, et cetera. So that's a red flag. Another, another red flag could be an account holder that's receiving unemployment benefits from multiple states, right? He, he, typically, you know, a person works in, in, in a regular locale. There may be very rare instances where you have someone working in New York and New Jersey. They have two jobs possible, but if, if you know, you're talking about three, four, five different states, checks are coming in from these different, different states, that, that, that becomes a red flag. Or if they're receiving unemployment benefits from a, a different name, right, of a person, the benefits are coming into an, an account with a different name, I think that also is a red flag. Another one that I thought was very interesting is if you have a login to a bank account from an international IP address, yeah, you know, that that is, you know, there, again, there could be legitimate reasons for that, but it, it's very rare that you would have that um, that instance. Or if you have immediate transfer of funds, you know, funds come in and then, you know, within minutes or seconds, the funds is transferred to an international bank account. Those are just a few examples, uh, Tom. But but they, people should read the the FinCEN alert. It has a wealth of information in there. Let me see if I could pick up on a couple of points because I had originally thought this was a financial institution problem, but this is much broader and it really emphasizes to me the invidiousness of white collar crime. Because if there is identity theft, uh, first of all, the person who had their identity stolen uh, could potentially uh, suffer some sort of sanctions if a state tries to recoup money uh, that was paid uh, illegally. But companies pay for unemployment insurance with a retrospective application of how many benefits they've been paid out on their behalf. So uh, in every quarter, a company, and I'm an employer, so I know this, an employer has to report the number of uh, benefits or employees who've received benefits. Uh, That then, every state uses that to determine how much tax to put on an employer going forward. So in uh, Q1, I'll have to report if I had any employees laid off, Q2 the same. And then my rating would be uh, adjusted and there could potentially be a higher unemployment tax from the state of Texas. Uh, so companies could actually suffer from this uh, as well. And that uh, it all really ties back to your point that banks are on the front lines of this and that uh Banks need to be able to get this information not only to FinCEN, but state regulators. Uh, I don't know if they can go down to the granular level of a company, but um, this uh, type of fraud really could reverberate literally throughout the economy. No, absolutely, Tom. I think uh, to put a a very fine point on this, 
you know, unemployment fraud, like insurance fraud, hurts all of us, right? Um, the more claims, the more uh, losses that, you know, an organization or the government uh, sustains, I think that cost is then passed on to the consumers, right? And, and effectively, we're footing the bill for the frauds, right? And, and so, to me, it's, it's incumbent upon um, organizations, banks alike, to do everything possible to, uh, you know, protect against these type of fraud schemes. So, Ray, uh, how uh, are you counseling your clients or how are you having discussions with financial institutions around this type of fraud? Is it simply uh, they're looking at this going, oh, my God, one more thing? Or are you able to really sit down with them and say, look, because of where we are and we're recording this in late October 2020, where we are in the pandemic this is an emerging risk, and it's a risk that uh, you need to put on your risk profile and try to manage it through the identification of suspicious activity or, or red flags. Or how are those discussions going between people like yourself and, and your clients? Yeah, a great, great question, uh, Tom. Um, yeah, as, as you know, uh, financial institutions, um, you know, many of them have robust surveillance programs currently in place. Um, depending on the, on the size of the organization, you know, it, it may range from at the lower end, you know, some sort of ad hoc monitoring uh, program that they have in place or, you know, in the higher end, perhaps some, some more technologically advanced systems uh, to spot these, including like artificial intelligence to spot these types of indicators. I think regardless of the, the size and complexity of programs, the conversations I've been having are around program effectiveness, so surveillance program effectiveness. And, and you know, a telltale sign of a, a well-oiled surveillance program is around how, how often it's updated to reflect the current environment, the current fraud schemes that, that are out there. And so many of our clients are, are, in fact, leveraging this type of information about the new and emerging fraud schemes to then update their surveillance metrics, right? Their key risk indicators to spot these types of, uh, these types of fraud schemes and then investigate them, um, and run them to the ground. Um, and so I've been advising them, look, if you haven't done it already, take a look at this, this FinCEN alert and use it to update your program. It, it's as simple as that. Uh, now some of our smaller, uh, clients, they may need some assistance, with the sheer volume of information that's coming through, right? Um, so, for example, if they're being targeted by some of these international fraud rings, there might be significant volumes of investigations that are undertaken. And I think that could overwhelm, you know, a, a really good established system will tend to spot more, um, more of these frauds and therefore requiring more investigations. And so my concern is not that, you know, our clients won't update their program. My concern is that they may not be able to handle the volumes of issues that are coming through and then being investigated in a timely and promptly manner and then reported, subsequently reported. Ray, you work with financial institutions literally of all size from multi-billion to, to much smaller institutions. Do you find, or in the financial institution uh, arena, is uh, the smaller financial institutions 
the ones that tend to get targeted because they can be overwhelmed? Or is it really, uh, that's not a metric that uh, you really have to concern yourself with? No, it's it's certainly uh, of concerns. Now, the popular banks get their fair share of this, but they tend to shut down the schemes faster. So the fraudsters, uh, you know, um, they tend to go after sort of the weakest vulnerability. It's, it's kind of a, akin to, you know, the, 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 how, the home robber walking by the neighborhood and seeing, you know, the ADP sign up, right, and say, you know what, I'm not going to target that house. But they, you know, they walk down the block and in there, you know, there's no security system or the security system is lax. The camera is hanging off the wall. It's not really working. And so they would tend to target those. And, and I'm not saying that, you know, some of our smaller clients don't have any programs. But again, going back to my point about they, they may not be as timely because of the volume of, of targets that are coming through or investigations. That are coming, they may not be as timely to react to these types of issues and therefore not putting in place those preventative measures to then, you know, respond or detect or shut down these uh, fraud rings. And so they tend to be, you know, the cases, the tail of those cases tend to be a bit longer than with say a larger well-oiled institution. Ray, if a financial institution detects suspicious payments or other evidence that might indicate unemployment insurance fraud, what should they do? So it's simple, right? It's uh, the, the requirements are that they investigate, well, first spot those issues, right? And then second, investigate the issues and then potentially report a suspicious activity report to FinCEN and other regulators. And so in that, um, for these types of unemployment fraud schemes, you know, my it's, it's my belief that one of the reasons that FinCEN issued this alert is, is because of the sheer volume of these suspicious activity reports that are coming through from many financial institutions already, that they're spotting these things and they're reporting these SARS. And, and as such, the reason why the regulators issue the alert for many other banks, including some of our smaller banks, to say, hey, watch out for this, do your investigation, and then report those matters to us in a timely manner. Ray, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode, but I was wondering if our listeners wanted any additional information on these topics. Where could they go? Sure, Tom. Uh, as always, they can go to k2intelligence.com. Uh, we are also on LinkedIn and uh, Twitter. Um, they could also reach out to me directly. I have my contact information are up there if they need more inv- information, Tom. Ray, I wanted to thank you for taking the time to visit with me One of the things that has become apparent to me in this podcast series is obviously things we were talking about in March and April are topics different than we're talking about now. And probably six months or a year from now, we'll have yet other topics. So I hope that uh, perhaps I can call upon you in the future to visit with us about some of the challenges and risk management financial institutions will have going forward. Absolutely, Tom. As always, a pleasure to be with you. and, And this is great. Thank you. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance and Coronavirus. This is the only B2B podcast which brings clear and sane information for both the compliance professional and the business executive. If I could ask you uh, to do one thing, if you could tell one person about this podcast, I'm trying to get the word out uh, about this most unique podcast in the compliance podcast network so if you could tell one person about it send them a copy send them a link do something uh, to help me publicize this podcast i would greatly appreciate it 
Compliance and Coronavirus is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network, and it appears Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday of each week. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you'll join me again for another episode. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.